0: to uh, just read for us our text uh, for for this evening, and then I'm going to pray that God will help us as we engage uh, with with his word. Um, This is a continuing story. We're picking it up, and I'm going to pick it up from, um, it's not on the screen, I'm going to pick it up from chapter 2, verse 25, Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, join me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and then the rest of uh, chapter 3 will be on the screen just behind me. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's how we ended uh, chapter two. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. I uh, Remember every time it uses those capital letters, "Lord," uh, it's a, um, a substitute for the word Yahweh. Uh, so Yahweh God uh, had made, this is the story of Yahweh God, the God of the Israelites and the God of the Christian story. Um, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Uh, He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden." Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, You will will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed, uh, sewed fig trees, fig leaves together, and made themselves landlords. And they had the son of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, The man said, The woman whom you gave gave to me to, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it. All the days of your life. Verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of, the, out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the, Lord, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin, skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take out of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out, of, out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man And at the east of the Garden of Eden he planted the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God. Um, I'm going to um, pray for us that God will help us um, as we get into his word. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, the music team um, and them leading us in songs that speak of uh, your greatness and your work in, in, in our lives. Uh, your work in uh, bringing men, men who had rebelled against you, who had rejected you, to a knowledge of you. Uh, we thank you that Jesus is worthy and that tonight may he be lifted uh, and no men. I pray that as he's lifted, uh, we would behold him, uh, that he would become our Lord and our King, uh, that we would submit to him in repentance and faith. Uh, so give us those hearts, we pray, in his name. Amen. Um, when the great Tuana philosophers met together um, and considered life uh, and all its um, outworkings, uh, this is what they came to the conclusion. Uh, I'm going to say it in Situana, um because there's, um, it's poetry, um, it is beautiful, and then I'm going to explain what it is. Uh, so stay with me uh, if you don't know the kingly uh, language. <laughs> The 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 phrase is this um, concerning a person uh, that wants to say Motu, lunakaloto, matuaka bele ama tuape tuape, hai tui isina. Mutu lunakaloto, bele tuape tuape, hai What that means is that a person is crooked and twisted, like the kuduhon. You can never say you know him. Uh, as you know, a layout of the land. Okay, so have you seen a kudu? Uh, for many of us, a kudu is that horn, uh, uh, that animal with twisted horns. Right. When the people looked at and observed life, uh, they saw that a, a human being was as sick, twisted, and crooked uh, like that horn. Uh, and it was a a a an, uh, it's an idiom, not an idiom. It's a proverb. Um, that signifies the di- distrust of men. Uh, so in other words, don't trust them. Uh, don't put your everything, your chips into men uh, because they're sick and twisted. Like the Kuruhan, you can never say you know them as much as you know the layout of the land. Many of us know that if you go on to N1 North, it will lead you to PLK. Uh, if you want to go see Boma, um, that's... It will always lead you there. Um, It is without fail, 100% of the time, unless there's probably an accident. Maybe you can off ramp uh, and on ramp back onto the N1. But just like the N1, the layout of the land, if you get onto it, you will reach your destination. Uh, And not so uh, with mankind. Um, Mankind is not trustworthy, they are crooked. Uh, and twisted, and that's why sometimes we draw up contracts, isn't it? Uh, because we don't um, trust each other. Um, I don't trust you that you will keep up your end of the deal, so we draw up contracts um, to keep us um, accountable um, to, to to each other. Now, the reason why I love that proverb so much is because it is so representative of our world. It's so representative of the nature of humanity. That there's just something off about us, isn't there? Uh, and not just the person next to you, but you yourself and the guy speaking um, up front. We are crooked and twisted uh, like that gudu horn. Something is just off um, with us. If you looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, when God calls us priests and kings, perhaps you are looking at your own life and saying, I, I, don't, I don't think I resonate with it. Um, there are often uh, times where we don't even trust ourselves. Uh, we don't. We surprised by our, our sick and twisted ways. That, ha, is this me who did this thing? Um, we surprise ourselves. Many a times we want to do what is good, but we end up doing what, we, what is bad. Many times we know what it is to live for God, but we find ourselves uh, living differently. I think that proverb is representative of us. Our lives are complex um, and uh, twisted. Um, A theologian put it this way. um, I wanted to memorize it in the Latin, and then I'm like, why would I do that? Um, (laughs) um, That humanity is carved in on itself. Uh, Instead of being orientated towards God, we are carved in uh, on ourselves. Uh, Another person commenting on what uh, this term of being carved in Onto ourselves, He says, is the willful redirection of, of attention and love from God um, to the human uh, self apart from God, which results in alienation from God and the fracturing of human society. When we are sick and twisted uh, and you bring sick and twisted people to form a society, what happens? You get a sick and twisted um, society, we caved in on ourselves, and as a result, instead of building the life of Eden, as we saw in the last uh, two chapters, uh, we cause more chaos and we bring uh, more uh, crookedness um, and twistedness into God's world. Left to our own devices, we choose ourselves; we choose our own role over and above what God has made us to um, to live for and to be. Uh, his representatives here on earth. Um, and I think this story in Genesis chapter 3, he said a story in human history, explains uh, to us uh, what led us um, to that place. If God wants us to live this way in chapter 1 and to, to live in his home, uh, to live as children of the home under his authority and rule, uh, what happens here in Genesis 3 uh, t- uh, turns that Um, upside down so we're going to look at this uh, chapter uh, and also some chapters in the in the new testament uh, as we see the fulfillment um, of this story so we're going to look at it under three heads one is um, if you have your uh, outlines there those brown outlines uh, please make use of that um, to um, to write notes um, or to follow with me the first one at the back there is that there is an attractive way to be human. Uh, There's a way of being human that is attractive to us. Uh, There's an attractive way of being human. Two, there's a better way to be human. Um, And three, this is simple. Choose that better way. uh, And we're going to find out how you choose uh, the better way. So there's an attractive way to us, human beings, of being human. Two, um, there is a better way to be human. And lastly. Choose the better way. Choose uh, the better way. Verse 25, we pick up uh, the story last week. Um, um, I said to you that there's a play on the word between verse 25 and verse 1. That's why I pick it up from verse 1. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is verse 25. Um, They were nude, but the serpent was shrewd. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord Yahweh God uh, had made. Men and women were nude. The word there is arumim. Uh, The word in chapter 3 verse 1 is that the serpent was arum. Uh, So the uh, there's lots of buzz happening there. As the Hebrew writer explains to us this story, he wants us to pay attention to the shrewdness of the snake. Um, now, a lot of people uh, would ask themselves a question. Uh, maybe you are one of those people. Um, as you hear a talking snake, you're like, what? You see, this is why I don't like church. Now now, now there's talking snakes there. Um, but don't worry so much about whether the snake talks or not. Just listen to what he says, okay? So let's listen to the words. The author wants us to listen uh, because he puts to us the woman is nude, the woman and men are nude, and the serpent is shrewd. Uh, so um, the phrase um, naked is obviously, have a look at it, it says they were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, now the idea there is, That they are like children. It's not so much the shame that they of something that they had done. You and I, when we think of shame, we think about something I've done something to be ashamed. That makes me ashamed, right? And that's how we think about shame. But the shame that we see here in verse twenty-five is the shame of not um, not um, not being faced. So they were naked and not being faced by that. I don't know if you've seen little kids; Um, they can just walk around naked, and it, there's nothing wrong with it. They don't see anything wrong with it. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, a few years back, I went to for supper at one of my lecturer's house, um, and as we were having supper, these kids were just running around naked, and their parents were like, no, 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 Like, go, go put something on. But for them, it was just, life was normal. There was nothing wrong with their nakedness. It is this childlike naivety uh, that... Um, the author wants to contrast. So those um, guys were like children and naive, but the serpent was shrewd. Um, we saw last week that, that the, the the tree of life represents the discernment of what is good and evil. And the shrewd serpent is going to zone in on this um, tree um, of life. Have a look at... Um, As the serpent talks, have a look at verses um, 2. This is what he says to the woman. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Last week we saw that as God put men in the garden, he told them that there's so much freedom. They can roam around Eden and eat all they want. Um, There was... There were two trees there in the garden, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of discernment, um, Then they were not supposed to eat of it. But listen to what the serpent says. He casts doubt on the commandments of God. He casts doubt um, to the woman, this shrewd serpent. Did God really say that? Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree... Of the garden. What do you notice in those words of the talking snake? Um, you notice um, that he is misrepresenting, um, not only is he casting doubt on God's commandment, but he's also misrepresenting the nature of the commandment. Uh, he's also misrepresenting the nature of the God who gave this commandment. Uh, the God who gave this commandment is a generous God, isn't he? Um, he opens up all. The trees are for them to eat, um, minus one tree. You shall not eat of it. Uh, but he says that God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. He wants to downplay the, the generosity um, of this God because that's not what God said. Uh, he said they can eat of every tree um, that is in uh, the garden. Have a look at um, verse 3. Or rather, verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, uh, "Notice, also the woman uh, is saying something quite different to what the um, what God commanded." The woman said to the serpent, "This is the first scene, by the way, this conversation between the serpent uh, and and the woman. We may eat of the fruit of we may eat of the the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree.'" that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Um, so the woman adds more commandments and more restrictions uh, that God had not uh, put there uh, for men and women to um, to obey. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will, you will not surely die, for God knows that, that, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good um, and evil. Now, a lot of um, commentators say that this is a nuance because we don't even know how the serpent got to know the commandments that were given to men. Um, but he's not saying to the women, um, you will not surely die. He says, don't think of death as such a, an immediate threat, okay? Don't think death is going to come immediately to you, um, God knows, casts doubt on the nature of this loving and generous God. Uh, and this is often temptation, isn't it? Uh, that it casts doubt on what we know about God. Um, it whispers certain things um, about the nature of God that would have us run uh, opposite direction from him. But God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good uh, and evil, uh, so the conversation uh, goes, and then, as we get to verse six, um, we see the narrator pausing for us and really taking us through what is happening in in that garden. So the story goes slower. Um, have a look at it uh, in verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that she was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed uh, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. Um, This language that we we encounter is this language of this woman, um, and it's often the language that we hear in the Ten Commandments of coveting, um, this language that she, she saw uh, and she desired, um, and she desired that this food would give her wisdom. It would open um, uh, her eyes. If I was preaching in the Ten Basalani, I would say to you, um, that many a times in our life, Bazalwani, we are quick to see and not quick to listen. Uh, many a times and many troubles in your life come because you open your eyes more than you open your ears, Bazalwani. If only you step in into what God has ordained for you and ask him to open your ears rather than to open your eyes, um, this is This is what we see here, that instead of hearing... And this is what we see throughout um, Old Testament, that the Israelites are more interested in seeing and sight than they are in hearing, Uh, and hearing is often hearing God and what he has to say to them. What we see here is Eve, instead of hearing, she sees, Um, and in seeing, the tragic thing we see uh, happening in this chapter is that they ate. Now, many people ask themselves the question, and this is um, a good question to ask, um, that why did God put the tree there? What what is that tree all about? And why, if he knew that they were going to eat of it, uh, why did he put it there? And I think a lot of the commentators, as they grapple with what this text is talking about, uh, they come to the realization that um, this tree was was there in the middle of the garden to give wisdom. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, wisdom is not a bad thing. Wisdom is something that we are encouraged to pursue, uh, encouraged to embrace. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to descend. Uh, wisdom is the ability to live in God's world and to descend the right way of living in that world. Now, is there anything intrinsically wrong with the tree of life? Um, as we um, see throughout the rest of the, the scriptures, not necessarily, uh, but it seems like uh, there's something wrong with men and women taking out from the tree of life when it suited them. Uh, it's, it's almost a picture of the naive, the, these kids, and one day God was going to give of, give of them wisdom. Uh, he was going to give them to eat of the tree in his own way, in his own time. But what do they do? They want to take it in their own way and in their own terms. Uh, Think of a picture of a a child. Um, Children, I have two of them. Uh, I'm going to see them tomorrow. I've lived this whole week without them. It was the most glorious uh, (laughs) week of my four years um, uh, of parenting. This is the longest I've been away from them. But anyway, two of them live in my house. I love them. Um, And very often... I want them to gain good stuff. I want to give them good stuff. Uh, so the one time I'm feeding the... I'm giving juice to the youngest, um, um And juice I'm giving her in my own terms. Because she's young, her mouth is still small. I'm gradually giving it to her. But what do they do? Just grab and, um, uh, and, and it spills all over. Uh, and that's what we see here happening. That there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the fruit um, that is of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's nothing wrong with wanting discernment and wisdom, but there's something wrong with gaining it in our own way. Okay, God says, do not gain it. Do not go and reach out and eat of this tree. Wait for me to give you. But what do we do? We go and grab. Um, and um, as one commentator says, Said they wanted, what was the promise? That go grab and eat, you will have discernment, your eyes will be opened. They want their eyes to be opened, they want to be shrewd like God, but they realize they were nude. Have a look at verses four the promise of the serpent. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Jump over to verses 6. She took of its fruit an aid and, and also gave to, to her husband um, who was with her an aid. Verse 7, then the eyes of them were opened. Satan promises that they will be like God. What happens? And they both knew that they were naked. So they seek themselves um, to be shrewd. They want uh, this wisdom but they end up being nude or recognizing their nudity and their naivety. Um, That is the tragic um, history of mankind. And everywhere mankind has gone is that we've wanted to take of the fruit uh, and to gain wisdom, uh, to gain a way of living in God's world that is contrary to how he has ordained, Um, to want wisdom without God. Um, Go and read the secular humanist manifesto and read um, some of the things and the aspiration of that manifesto. Uh, basically, they want to be good and moral without God. Um, it is a, a tragic thing, uh, but this quest for freedom is what led us in our world um, into chaos. This quest to live our lives apart from God is the most uh, tragic thing that has led us um, to, um, to where we are. And I think that continues to be the temptation of our lives, isn't it? Uh, when we know what God has said, when we know his desires for our lives, but we want to live in his world uh, the way we want. We want to live according to our own wisdom. Uh, and nothing this, um, displays it like this um, this movie called uh, The True Man Show, How many of us have seen that movie, The Truman Show? It's by uh, Jim Carrey. And in that movie, uh, uh, this guy, um, he grows up, um, but he doesn't know that his life is a TV show. Uh, So from the time he grows up, everything around him is controlled. Um, There's this script writer um, who is almost like a god uh, who controls his life. Uh, This guy can see everything in his life because there's cameras everywhere. Um, And one day... He comes to realize that he's been living a fake life. Uh, he comes to realize that, in fact, his his life is scripted and controlled uh, by somebody. And what does he do? Well, he seeks his freedom. He wants to escape. It was this dome uh, that he escapes, and that's the height of the movie when everyone rejoices that this guy has gained his freedom. Um, in fact, um, it's a commentary on our lives, isn't it? That why would you want somebody to control your life why would you want to be living uh, with somebody who controls your life and they hail him as hero because he escaped that dome he escaped the control of that uh, script writer and i think it's a picture of our society's desire to free ourselves uh, from that all knowing god uh, who is in control of our lives because after all who would want their lives um, to be controlled. Um, earlier on, we spoke about freedom. What is the one word that pops into your mind when you think about freedom? What um, this woman and this man were seeking was freedom, freedom from God, freedom to live our lives as we would please in God's world, uh, freedom to escape the control of this God. And that is the nature of our world, uh, isn't it? Um, A writer, what is his name? Uh, Don Carson, uh, reflects on our society, especially Western society, which we are all influenced by, uh, and some of its ways of doing life. And this is what he has to say. He says in the moral realm, there's very little consensus left in Western countries over the proper basis of moral behavior. When you look at our culture, nobody agrees on what is right and what is wrong. Uh, when we are, are wise in our own ways, when we determine wisdom in our own way, um, there is the clash of not agreeing on what is right and what is wrong. And because of the power of the media, for many, for men, millions of men and women, the only venue where moral questions are discussed and weighed is the talk show, where more often than not, the primary aim. Is to t- entertain, even shock, not to think. When Gerald, D- G- Giraldo, that's a talk show host, and Oprah become the arbiters of public morality. When the opinion of the latest media personality is sought to seek, to, is sought on everything from abortion to transverse, um, yes, that word. When the b- penalty is mistaken for profundity because. It's uttered by a movie star or basketball player. It is not surprising uh, that there is less thought than hype. Um, so we determine what society should look like. Uh, we seek our freedom from God and his way, his ordained way um, of of life, um, that he would give us from the tree when he wants. We're just not ready for that. Not, you can't give your... Brand new. Imagine buying a brand new Mac, um, or think of your favorite car. I don't know cars, so Mac is the thing that comes to mind. It's beautiful, and you just hand over the keys to a young boy to drive. It's the same thing here, that as they seek freedom, um, they, they don't recognize that they still still infant, infants, and they ought to wait for God um, to show them. Uh, how to live. When you and I live that way in the society that we see around us, we see more and more society drifting, um, so there's never agreement about what gender is. Uh, there's no agreement on or what the good life is. Uh, we are the masters of our own destiny. Um, two weeks ago, Reggie preached uh, a great sermon, and he said that the theme song of our world is that I did it my way. Uh, The theme theme song of Genesis 3 is that these guys did it their way. God put them in the garden to take care of it. Um, He put those two trees um, for the sake of them, um, but he wanted them to rely on him to give them wisdom rather than taking it for themselves. Guess what? As we continue the story, it ends in, Yes, it ends um, in death. As we see God coming through to the scene, have a look at verse 8. And they had the Son of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the, God, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What are they ordained to do? They ordained to live with God and dwell with Him for all of eternity, to draw from the tree of life and to continue uh, to live, to enjoy the presence of God in the garden, the life-giving life giving presence of God. But what did they do? They wanted uh, to take for themselves and they realized that they nude And verse 8, they hide from the presence of God. Uh, Instead of running towards God, this life-giving source, when you and I take away from, take wisdom, take matters into our own own hands, uh, it will lead us um, to tears. It will lead us into running away uh, from the very uh, presence of God have a look at verse 9 but the Lord God Yahweh God said to men where are you and he said I had the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he said who told you that you were naked um, have you eaten of the fruit the 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 tree the tea, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat and then the blame shift uh, starts. Um, I think in just um, some time in the future, we'll look at um, this, um, um, this text in detail with regards to gender relations and, and some of our distorted um, uh, gender roles. Uh, because this is what happens here. The blame shift comes. Um, notice God doesn't come to women and say, what did you do? Comes to men and says, uh, "What did we do? What did you do?" Uh, so there's a way um, um, that is attractive to be human, uh, and we see it in the language of this woman who sees something very attractive. It will give me wisdom. Uh, it will make me like God. Uh, she seeks to be shrewd, uh, but recognizes that she is nude. And not only that, um, these are the implication. If you read verses 14 onwards. Uh, these are the implications of life when we do it our own way. It ends uh, in death. Uh, the serpent is cursed. The woman is cursed. These are the implications of you wanting to take matters into your own hands. And notice also verse 17 um, that Adam, his life will be on earth will be frustrated. He's going to be cast away from uh, God's. Presence and the life-giving source um, of God's presence. Verse 17, I want to focus in on it. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Verse 19: this is the reality. Of the broken world that we live in, instead of living in Eden, in the presence of God where everything is provided for, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, what we see here in Genesis uh, chapter 3 is the implication of seeking freedom uh, from God. God grants it to them and he chucks them out into um, outside um, the garden. And life outside of the garden, life outside the dwelling place of God, life outside of his temple is not good. Um, It is endless toil, it is endless thorns and thistles. The land, instead of producing good, it produces bad. Man struggles. For survival, instead of receiving uh, from the life of God in the garden. And what does he say? That you will continue. Work will be a struggle for survival. You struggle for bread, and in the end, you don't win. You don't win that struggle, it ends in death. Verse 20 onwards, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God. Made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Notice when they see their nakedness, they use thick leaves. Um, and this is supposed to be like ridiculous because thick trees are small. But we see the grace of God inspired of rebellion uh, providing for them clothing. Verse 22, and the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23, and therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from where he was taken. He drove out the men, and, um, and at the east of, the, of Eden, he placed the cherubim and flame, flaming sword uh, that turned every way to guard the way um, to the tree of life. Um, We see that the story begins with this people in chapter 2 in the presence of God. Um, Adam is the guardian of the presence presence of God, as we saw in the priestly language of chapter 2. But at the end, he's chucked out. And something else is put to guard the way into um, the tree of life. Uh, That he is, as one commentator says, doomed to die. Um, the day he ate of the tree, he was doomed to die because he was chucked out of Eden. The same language we see in the in the Old Testament: as you are, if you are a leper, they would chuck you outside of the Israelite camp, and you were doomed to die outside. You were not immediately dead, but you were going to die because you were cut out from the life. Uh, of, of israel and that's the picture that we see here um that human beings who were meant to eat of the um this um tree of life are now chucked out lest they continue and live long in their rebellion um, but god guards that um, place um, um that they cannot come back in and on and on as we see the the story of Genesis. You'll see that such, such and such came into the scene. Um, this is their story, and then they died. And then they died. And then they died. That is the reality of living with ourselves as king. Uh, we will be cast away from the presence of God, and it ends in death. That is the way that is attractive um, to our eyes. Um, Proverbs says that there's a way that is Um, seems wise in the eyes of men. There's a way that looks attractive in the eyes of men, but it ends in destruction. Christian, there is a way uh, that looks nice um, in your eyes. There's a way of living that looks attractive, uh, but in the end, it ends uh, in destruction. It ends uh, in death, a continual death. And then they died, and then they died. But there is according to the rest of the Christian story, a better way to be human. There's a better way to be human. Our way that is attractive of being uh, human ends in death, but there is a better way to be human. In fact, as you read along um, the text of Scripture, you realize that God doesn't end this mission of people living in his dwelling. The story continues. God still wants us to be Uh, in his dwelling place. God still wants people to be in his presence and to enjoy him. God still wants a people who are going to dwell with him and to redefine life for them. Uh, So we read on and on uh, in the story. And then in Exodus 19, in fact, we hear this word, um, as God brings the nation of Israel uh, to himself. Um, This is the words that Peter echoed last week for us. He says he chose them, and he rescued them out of Egypt. And he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore them on eagle wings and brought you to myself. So he brings them to himself uh, in his presence. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, And a holy nation. Okay, so we see this language of Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve, there to be. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there to be kings and priests, the royal priesthood. Um, God makes Israel his royal priesthood. They are to live in his presence. They are to follow his voice and not to do things um, as they please. But what we see throughout the history of Israel, that like us, like men, like the first men, we continually want to take of the fruit um, of the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. We want to continually live according to our wisdom and not follow the wisdom of God. Um, And God chucks them out of the land. He chucks them out of his presence. Um, That's how the story ends. And then in the New Testament, we meet a guy called Jesus. Now, I'm going to refer to Luke because we dealt with Luke um, a couple of uh, months back. Uh, but in Luke's gospel, we get this echo of Jesus um, as the Son of God, um, the, the one who, who has come. Uh, have a look at um, Luke, if you can turn there with me. I'm just going to browse through um, Verse chapter 3, verses 23 up until the end, this is, um, we see the genealogy of Jesus, but have a look at verse 38, it says that Jesus is the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. After Luke says this in chapter 4, we see that Jesus, like Israel, in the desert, he's tempted, and what does the devil tempt him of? The biggest temptation the devil tempts Jesus is, I'll, be, I'll make you king. I'll make you uh, king of this world. Now, is there something wrong with that, Jesus being king of the world? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's his mission, as we see here in Luke's gospel. He is to be ordained as king, uh, but he's not to do it in his own way. So the Satan, Satan wants to tempt Jesus to gain kinship in his own way, not in the way of the cross, and the way that is ordained um, by God. Uh, but Jesus, um, Jesus uh, if you remember the story, conquers that temptation. Where Adam failed, where humanity failed, um, Jesus conquers. Um, and as we read throughout the New Testament, uh, we see Jesus presenting to us a better way of being human, a better way to live in the world that God has placed us in. Uh, We see Jesus going to the cross to die for the rebellion of mankind, uh, to bring them back into the presence of God. We see him conquering the very thing that conquers us, death, as he rises from the dead, and he becomes king of the world. Jesus is king of the world and is held across... um, the known world at that time, that Jesus is king of the world, Turn to him. um, And as we get to Corinthians, this is the beauty. I love Corinthians um, because Paul presents to the Corinthians the way of the cross as the better way to be human. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Turn quickly to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians Um, Paul starts off by talking about the wisdom of the world, um, the way you and I think, uh, the wisdom of uh, the world. And he says the wisdom of the world is different to the wisdom of the cross. Um, In the eyes of the world, the cross looks like foolishness. Um, It is weakness. Um, The cross being Jesus sacrificing himself uh, for people instead of of seeking his own uh, good, he sacrifices himself for others. Uh, Paul in the earlier chapters describes and defines for these Christians what the wisdom of the cross is. And then he goes on to apply it to their lives. And he says this is the better way um, to be human. He applies it to the area of sexuality, that instead of living your life in God's world um, with sex as being something that you gratify yourself with, instead of thinking of sex as self-gratification, consider the cross of Jesus. Jesus um, offered himself for others. If you married, you are not married for the sake of you. You are married for the sake of sacrificing yourself to the other person. So he revolutionizes the way culture thinks and the wisdom of culture, that it's all about you. But Paul says to them, there's a better way to be human, uh, the way of the cross. Jesus on the cross was not about himself. So in this area of sexuality... In this area of marriage, it is not about you. It is about service to one another. That is the wisdom of the cross. And then he goes on and speaks to people who were disputing against each other. Christians who were, um, lack of a better word, screwing each other over, because that's what they were doing. Christian brother, um, they just basically mistreating each other. Um, one perhaps would have been doing business with the other. And then they just do shady things. Uh, And there's disputes in the church. Um, And Paul says to these Christians, and this is counter-cultural, this is revolutionary. He says to them, instead of seeking your way, instead of seeking vengeance, choose the way of the cross. That is the better way to live in God's world. Um, Choose to be like Jesus. Screwed over. Now that's countercultural, isn't it? Paul talks to them about the giftings within the church, instead of showing your gifts to the world and say, "Look at how amazing I am. There's a better way to be human, uh, the way of the cross. Use spiritual gifts for the service of others. And throughout Corinthians, we see that there's a better way to be human. And in fact, Paul reminds them. That the gospel makes them better humans. Jesus not only provides them a way into the kingdom, but he provides to them a model of what it means to live in God's world. Not centered on ourselves, but for the sake of others. In Philippians, as these women are fighting, Paul says, look at Jesus, look at this wisdom, look at this beautiful thing. Jesus had all authority, all the power. He was king and he was on the throne. Yet he chose to disregard his kingdom. He chose to leave his throne for the sake of people, to bring them into a relationship with God, and God exalted him um, to the right hand um, of the Father. And he says to this woman who are fighting, let this same mind be in you that was in Jesus. Live out this template of the cross. Live out this template of not wanting to be the king of your life. Not wanting stuff starve for your own self. Because that's what sin does, isn't it? When we seek um, wisdom for ourselves, guess what? Guess who wins? Guess who takes the throne? We dethrone God and we become God. And when we are God, it's all about us. And when it's all about us, I mean, think about it. Put a group of people who think that life is about themselves. Put them in a place called Midrand. What's that going to look like? It is chaos, but there is a better way um, to be human, and that is the way uh, of the cross. The cross changes um, our way of living uh, in this world, and God calls us this evening, uh, as we think about our own lives and as we think about being priests in the world that is created, um, to think and choose the better way not to want to live for ourselves, not to want to gain wisdom for ourselves, not to follow our culture and what it tells us, what it means to be wise. Uh, We consume that in our media. We consume that in our TVs, don't we? Um, Think of this phrase. This is the wisdom of the world. Why would you control two people who love each other and tell them not to be married? Those people who are of the same gender. But they love each other. That's the wisdom of the world. They love each other. That's the wisdom of the world. Why would you let anybody, this is uh, our despise for authority. Why would you let anybody tell you how to live your life? If there was ever a theme song for our culture, it is that. Don't let anybody tell you how to live. Seek wisdom in your own way. Determine your own way of living. One author says that this is this kind of wisdom, this kind of way of living, it sounds smart, it sounds like it frees you, but it's actually more enslaving than it presents itself. Uh, you see, Satan tempts the woman, presents, it's going to be beautiful if you follow me. It's going to be beautiful if you follow your own desires. But in the end, uh, we are seduced. Uh, And this is what he says, he says, with exquisite, so he makes um, a metaphor of the wisdom of the world, a woman, and he says, with exquisite subtlety, she she, she seduces the modern mind by claiming to be tolerant and non-dogmatic. So the way of our world is that, just be tolerant, just accept people the way they want to be, right? Uh, Whether it's in relationships or the stupid choices that sometimes we make. Just be tolerant. Um, So the wisdom of this world claims to be um, tolerant and non-dogmatic. In fact, she is neither. For behind that velvet, beautiful glove is an iron fist. When you and I follow our culture's wisdom, um, and its offer for freedom and the good life, it, it looks attractive. It looks like true freedom. It presents itself in a beautiful love that seduces us. But at the end of it, um, behind that velvet love, there's an iron fist of oppression. Uh, but Jesus um, helps us to choose the better life. Jesus comes in the scene in Luke chapter 4 and he says, I'm, I'm here to give you freedom. Uh, I'm here to give you freedom from your own inclination to sin, your own inclination to live life your own way, um, and to bring you to himself. Um, So as I was thinking about it, I'm like, there's a way I can end this and say, yeah, look at our culture, it's so broken and whatever. Um, Don't be like that culture, right? Don't be like the atheists who want to determine their own way. Um, Those people out there. I don't want to do that. Um, As you read the story of Genesis chapter 3, I want you to see yourself in that. Um, your own desire for freedom, your own desire to live as king of your life. And to ask yourself a question, what, what areas are you tempted most to live as king of your life? What do those things promise you? Because it's not just the atheist, the hardcore atheist, who rejects God's way of life. It is us. It is in those subtle moments where we choose our own way, um, what we see versus what we heard from God. May God help us to remember and to run to Jesus instead of running away from his presence, to run to Jesus who brings us back into his presence, who shows us a better way uh, to be human. Uh, May God help us as we go into this week, as we think about our lives and where he's placed us, uh, that his way of living is better than our way. His way of living in this world is better. May God help us to choose that better way and to embrace life that he has intended.